Welcome to Truths for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall. Matthew 5, 31 and 32. Here's what Jesus said. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, you know, as a pastor, when I come to a new church, you know, on any kind of, you know, when when I become the pastor of a new church, there are people in the congregation who sometimes think, and ask themselves, well, what does the preacher think about me? What does he think about me? And often people who are divorced, who are in the congregation that I come to be the pastor of, they want to know and they kind of say to themselves, they question themselves. And sometimes they come to me and talk to me about their situation. Well, I'm a divorced person. What does the preacher think about me as a divorced person? Well, let me answer that question out loud. To all of you, if you're a divorced person, I love you. What am I supposed to do? I love you with all of my heart. And uh, I know that divorce is not a a pleasant thing uh, for a person to experience. But I don't look, you know, in church life, sometimes we attach a stigma to divorced people that we don't attach to anybody else. You know, we will celebrate a former murderer getting saved and born again. Amen? You know, we'll just celebrate that. We'll have him to give a testimony or her to give a testimony about how God saved them and made a difference in their life. And people who are, you know, who've gone through all kinds of situations, maybe committed crimes or things like that. You know, we, 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 we celebrate the fact that they have received God's grace. But for some reason in church life, we attach some kind of stigma sometimes to people who have been divorced. And we kind of, we kind of beat up on divorced people sometimes in church life and apply things to them that we won't apply to anybody else. And so, you know, today I want to kind of just deal with that subject and from what Jesus says, you know, uh, not going to mitigate the seriousness of divorce, but I, I think that God has maybe sometimes a different perspective about this subject than we do. We claim that we have a biblical perspective about this subject, but I think sometimes we add a little extra spice to what the Bible has to say about this subject that God does not intend for us to add. So, you know... What do people, what does the preacher think about people who are divorced? I love you. What does God think of people who are divorced? Well, God loves you. Can I get an amen from somebody? Y'all are absolutely too quiet. God loves you. Now, Malachi 2.26 says that God hates divorce. He doesn't hate divorced people, but he hates divorce for what it does to people and how it affects people. And, and the devastation that some, often it brings into the lives of people and the effect it has not only for those who are involved in the situation, but how it affects other people as well. But God loves you. And, and, and so this morning I want to, you know, Jesus, this is what Jesus said next. So we're going to look at what Jesus 
said next about this particular subject. First of all, I, I want to talk about the importance of marriage. The Bible teaches that God is the creator of marriage. Marriage is God's invention. In the beginning, God made them male and female. He made them Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, not Yvette and Eve. God made them Adam and Eve. In the beginning, God made them male and female. By the way, God help us. We live in a society in a time like this. There are only two genders, male and female. You want to know what gender you are, just look at yourself in the mirror. After you get out of the bath, you'll figure it out pretty quick. That's who you are. That's who God made you to be. And there's no amount of operations and there's no amount of chemical stuff that you can do to make you something else. And by the way, men cannot have babies. Thank God men cannot have babies. Okay? I mean, isn't it stupid? That we have to live in a society where in church life you have to say stuff like that. And then a preacher standing at a pulpit saying stuff like that, he's going to get canceled. Well, I, I don't care about that. They can cancel me. I worry about God canceling me is what I worry about. And this is his word. Now, God created marriage. And the very first wedding ceremony was performed by God himself. It has been my privilege over my ministry to perform many wedding ceremonies, marriage ceremonies. And I've had some, you know, one of these days I'm going to write a book. I've had some very interesting experiences uh, when it comes uh, to performing wedding ceremonies. The very first one I ever performed many years ago. I didn't know, I didn't know what I was doing, didn't know how to go about, you know, as a young preacher performing a wedding ceremony. Young girl about four foot nine was marrying a guy about six foot nine. She was here, he was here. And so I'm performing the wedding ceremony and the, the guy was so nervous. He was shaking like a leaf. And he was shaking so bad his britches legs, you know, his, his britches looked like, you know, they, they were in the wind. And it came time for him to say, I do. And he said, I do. And I lost it. I just, <laughs> we had to take a holy pause for a little while in the midst of that. But I've had some uh, very interesting experiences when it comes to wedding ceremonies. Well, the first one ever was performed by God himself in the Garden of Eden when he joined Adam and Eve together in marriage. Now, the Bible defines marriage as this. And what the Bible defines, man has no right or no authority to change the definition. The Bible defines marriage as the union of one man and one woman who in a public ceremony before God and man commit themselves to each other in a bond of marriage for life. Now, that's how the Bible would define a marriage. The union of one man and one woman in a public ceremony before God and before man committing themselves to each other in the bond of marriage for life. The Bible teaches that marriage is a social contract performed by man before man 
it is a social contact, uh, contract that is recorded at the courthouse. More importantly, the Bible says that every marriage is a sacred commitment made before God and recorded in heaven. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 19, verses 5 and 6. He said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, literally glued to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Every marriage is a marriage that is recorded before God in heaven. Now, why did God create marriage? You know, marriage was created before any other institution, before government, before religion, before the church. God established marriage. Why did God create marriage? Well, he created marriage for mankind's good. Marriage is to be a good thing. Ms. Sayers and I just recently celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. I did a little research on that, and I discovered that only 3% of marriages in America ever make it to 50 years. Isn't that amazing? And if you go beyond 50, the percentage comes down. But we just celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary, and our marriage has been good, and it's been a blessing to me. To use a football analogy, I outpunted my coverage when I married Miss Ayres. I can guarantee you that. She has been such a blessing to me. But God created marriage for our good, for mankind's good. He intends for marriage to be permanent, to be productive, and to be pleasant. He intends for it to be a good thing. Because marriage is sacred to God, and because God holds every person accountable for their conduct in their marriage and their commitment to their marriage, marriage is never to be entered into lightly. And it certainly is never to be ended in a light way. I have done a lot of marriage counseling in my life. I wish I could have recorded some of those sessions. I had a young lady and a young man come to me one time and so we were going through counseling. And the young man started the conversation, which is unusual. Usually it's the lady, the girl, the young woman who begins the, you know, guys are there because their, their, their fiance has, they have drugged them there. You know, the guys really don't want to be in the preacher's office for marriage counseling. That's just the way it is. But their fiance has insisted on it, that you're going to meet with the preacher, you know, so... Usually the guy, he just kind of sits back and smiles and says, yeah, a lot. And I agree a lot, you know, and he kind of gives me a nod and a, a wink every now and then. But on this particular occasion, the young man started the conversation in this marriage counseling session. And he says, well, preacher, look, we're not going to have a big wedding. It's going to be very, it's going to be a small wedding. It's going to be a simple wedding. See, he was firing the first volley. It's going to be very small. It's going to be very simple. I looked at the young lady and she was just smiling. So in a moment of boldness or stupidity, whichever one you, you want to say, I looked at the young man and I said, well, let's start right here, right now with this truth. Son, you're not in charge of this wedding. 
that girl, her mama, and your mama are in charge of this wedding. And what they say is going to happen is what's going to happen. Now, you can live under the delusion that you're going to have a small and simple wedding. But I'll bet you $10 right now that ain't going to happen. I just, I don't know why I said that. It was stupid of me to say that, but I said that to him. After we had a very large, elaborate wedding in which he was the groom, he came to me later and he said, Preacher, you sure was right. <laughs> so, but I, I take marriage very seriously. It's a very a great honor to perform a marriage ceremony. But also, it, it's a great responsibility to try to hammer home or at least to get home that this is important to God. That what you're about to do is something that God has ordained and God has established. And God has, has, has placed in his word, word principles and guidelines that will make marriage good. And marriage in a way that will, be, that will be honorable to God and a blessing to you. And so I do take that very seriously. Now, even though divorce... The ending of a marriage was never the intention of God for marriage. It was never the intention. What God has joined together, let not man separate. The Bible says that God does allow divorce in certain situations. Now, the Bible never commands divorce. Never. But the Bible does allow divorce in certain situations. I think as a whole, the Bible teaches that divorce is never the first option in dealing with marital, marital problems. Every marriage is going to have its problems. Every marriage is going to have its challenges. Every marriage is going to have its strains, and that includes Christian marriages. And understanding the importance and the sacredness of marriage Husbands and wives should do all they can to resolve their problems. And when they have problems and situations and circumstances and challenges, the, the, the first option always is to try to work through those things, to for, find forgiveness for one another and forgiveness before God, and to find a resolution for those problems in a way that honors God and in a way that strengthens, strengthens the marriage relationship. Ms. Harris and I, and she hates when I talk about her from the pulpit, but that's all right. She'll forgive me. She's a good woman. We were in Florida recently celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary, and we were in a store, and I started up a conversation with a young man who was behind the counter. He was an uh, Army veteran who um, was working in this particular store. He had, he had retired from the Army, and just a young man did one tour in the Army. And um, somehow he heard Miss Ayers and me talking about it being our 50th wedding anniversary. And he said, well, he said, well how do you stay married for 50 years? I mean, <laughs> he was like, I'm not alive. I hadn't even been alive that long. And at that particular juncture, Miss Ayers asked me something. And I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> you know, I always say, yes, ma'am. You know, she said, such, such a, I said, yes, ma'am, that's true. And he looked at me and he said, now I understand. <laughs> yeah, now I understand. In fact, when I worked in radio some years ago, I saw uh, where a study was done in, in Great Britain on 
you know, the keys to longevity in marriage. And the first key was this. And literally, literally, this was the first key in, a, in this study of marriages in, uh, the, uh, in, in Great Britain. That which makes for a strong marriage is when the husband does what the wife wants him to do. And, boy, that was, y'all were, okay. But, yeah, we'll talk about it later. But, uh, but divorce is never the first, first option when it comes to these problems. To work through the problems that you have and the challenges that you have. Now, the Bible mentions three instances in which divorce is allowed. Okay? The first one is adultery. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 32. I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except for sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. In this verse, Jesus allows divorce in the case of adultery. Now, adultery is defined as this. A married person who is physically intimate with someone other than their spouse. That is adultery. Now, in that case, divorce is not commanded. Divorce is never commanded in the Bible. But if reconciliation and the renewal of the marriage bond is not possible, then the Bible gives the offended mate in that particular instance the right to end the marriage and to divorce their adulterous mate. And any time there is a right to divorce, there is also the right to remarry. And so one instance in which the Bible allows divorce is in the case of adultery. And, and that, but that's not the only instance. That's the only one that Jesus mentions in this particular place. But there's another instance in which the Bible allows divorce in the Bible, and that is abandonment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul deals a lot with marriage. You know, the, the, the church at Corinth was in the middle of a decadent uh, society, a decadent culture. And there was a lot of issues dealing with immorality and pressures on marriage and things like that. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul discusses several issues dealing with marriage. In that chapter, Paul says that if a person who is married becomes a Christian. If a person who is married becomes a Christian, but their spouse does not become a Christian. What if you got a couple, one of the couple, one of the spouses becomes a Christian, but the other does not. What about in that case? Apparently Paul was asked this question. Should a Christian then end the marriage with their unbelieving partner? Paul said in that case, no. The Christian spouse should stay in that marriage. And the Christian spouse should be a good witness, a holy influence on their unbelieving spouse and their children. Paul said, who knows? That believing spouse may lead the unbelieving spouse then to give their life to Christ. But, Paul said, if the unbelieving spouse refuses to live with a believing mate, and if they go to their mate and say, now that you're a Christian, I can't live with you anymore. I'm not going to live with you because you are a Christian. 
And if they choose to abandon their marriage because their mate has become a Christian, then Paul says the believing spouse should allow their unbelieving mate to depart the marriage. This is what he says, 1 Corinthians 7, 15. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Paul says in such a case, the bond of marriage is broken. With the unbeliever leaving the believing mate, And the believing spouse then is no longer in bondage. That is, the believing spouse then is free to remarry, but only, he says later, in the Lord. That is, they should only marry a fellow Christian if they're a believer. Now, I've seen this. Unfortunately, I have seen this situation. When a spouse will just abandon their marriage and abandon their mate. I've seen spouses just turn their back on their marriage walk away from their marriage. In that case, the spouse who has been abandoned is free to remarry. That marriage bond has been broken by abandonment. The third cause that the Bible gives for divorce is in the case of abuse. The the reason why divorce was allowed in the Old Testament in the first place was to protect a wife from the abuses of a cruel husband. The direction was given. If a husband became dissatisfied with his wife, he was not to treat her cruelly. He was not to treat her in a, in a bad way. If he had became dissatisfied with his wife, he is to give her Respect, and he is to dismiss her by giving her a writ of divorce, allowing her to leave the marriage instead of being abused by an unloving and cruel husband. She was to be given the opportunity to leave that marriage and not suffer abuse. I can tell you this. God does not expect a spouse to stay in a marriage in which they and their children are constantly in real danger from an abusive mate. There are few things that will boil my blood quicker than a man who will abuse his wife or parents who will abuse their children. It is hard for Brother Chris to try to drum up some grace for people in those situations. A man who will abuse his wife is not a man as he ought to be. And the Bible teaches that God does not expect anyone to stay in an abusive situation. They need to have the privilege and the right of getting out of that situation. And I support that 100%. God is right in that. Amen? Amen. And we can give an amen to that. Again, with the right of divorce comes the right to remarry again. Now, that's the hard part. You know, you got to deal with that. That's the hard part. You know, you're pretty privileged because there are many pulpits in America, not to try to make myself any special or anything like that. Many pulpits in America wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. And that's just the truth. But see, that's Bible truth. We have wandered so far from the Bible. We need biblical truth. And that's the hard part, dealing with marriage and how a marriage can end and things like that. But let me give 
I want to give some words of comfort and encouragement to those who may be divorced. Divorced people sometimes feel beat up in the church. And I, th I think sometimes we need, to, we need to step back and realize that sometimes we treat divorced people worse than we would treat, again, as I said earlier, a murderer who's been saved. Divorced people don't deserve that. I want to share some words of comfort and encouragement. First of all, to the victims of divorce. You didn't want divorce. Divorce happened. You didn't seek it. You didn't want it. But it happened to you. And I can tell you that's a burden that I have seen people bear. And it's a burden that will stay with them for the rest of their life. Well, I want to tell you to the victims of divorce that God loves you and God cares for you. And the God of heaven is sorry that you have experienced what you have experienced. Listen to Malachi chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. The people of that day said, why has God abandoned us? You cry. I'll tell you why, Amalekai says. It is because the Lord has seen your treachery in divorcing your wives who have been faithful to you through the years. The companions you promised to care for and keep. You were united to your wife by the Lord. In God's wise plan, when you were married, the two of you became one person in his sight. And what does he want? He wants godly children from your union. Therefore, guard your passions. Keep faith with the wife of your youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, says he hates divorce and cruel men. Therefore, control your passions. Let there be no divorcing of your wives. If you are the victim of an unwanted divorce, I urge you to ask God to help you to find peace and comfort. I also urge you to forgive your unfaithful mate. Don't let bitterness set up in your life. And if you're a Christian, if you're a victim of divorce, you should not let that be any hindrance to you of living a growing and productive Christian life. And so for victims of divorce, God loves you. He cares for you. He understands the burden and the pain, and God will give you grace. Now, to those who have been guilty of causing a divorce in the past, that's not the unforgivable sin. God is a God of grace and mercy. He's willing to forgive this and any sin. God will forgive you if you are truly sorry for what you have done and if you seek his forgiveness and grace. Because you have caused divorce, there may be a couple of doors of service that may be closed to you because of that. But there are a thousand doors that are wide open for how you can serve the Lord in a productive way. God is a God of grace and God is a God of mercy. And God will forgive us of all of our sin, including this one. And to the church, I would say that while we take an uncompromising stand on the sacredness and the sanctity of marriage, and while we will always stay true to what the Bible has to say about marriage, we need to love those who have experienced divorce. And if God has forgiven the one who has caused a divorce, then so should we. We should love them. God is a God of grace and mercy. 
Amen? Amen. Now, you know, me and Miss Harris been married a long time. I told her when we first started on this journey, I said, honey, if you ever leave me, pack my bags. I'm going with you. Because <laughs> if you got a good reason to leave me, I don't like me either. <laughs> and bless her heart, she's stuck with me ever since, you know? God is a God of good, uh, goodness and God is a God of grace. And so today, let's strengthen our marriages. Let's celebrate God's forgiving grace and mercy. Let's love one another and let's care for one another. And let's be a place where people can come to find recovery from the hurts of life. You know, in church, people ought to be able to come and find grace and love and acceptance and, and concern for them and caring for them. I don't want people to live with a burden all of their life. Do y'all? No, I want, I want us all to experience the grace and the goodness of God. And we can, we can experience that and we can show that to other people as well. To those who are married, when was the last time you thanked God for your mate? When was the last time you prayed for your mate by name? I pray for Miss Harris every day. I pray for God to watch over her, for God to care for her, that God give her patience with me, and for God to give her healing and help. You know, if we prayed for our mates, instead of argue with them, maybe things might be a little better, better at the house, right? So when was the last time you thanked God for your mate and the last time you prayed for your mate? When was the last time you told your mate how grateful you were for them and how much they mean to you? When our kids were small, I'm going to get in trouble telling all this. When our kids were small, me, me and Miss Avery sometimes would gross them out. And we would, we'd gross them out in this way. I'd say, honey, come here and let me give you a Hollywood kiss. You know, <laughs> you know like those, those kisses they have on TV, you know. And we give it, let's give them a holly. And our kids would go, oh, don't do that. <laughs> Someone has rightly said, the greatest thing you can do for your children is to love their mother. If you're a man, the greatest thing you can do for your children is to love their mother. And so let's celebrate God's goodness and grace in marriage, his goodness and grace and forgiveness. And if this hit home to you today, God bless you. I love you. God loves you. And God is a God of goodness. And we've got a lot of work to do for the kingdom of God and for a lost world. Amen. Amen. And so let's do it hand in hand, heart in heart together. Thank you for joining us for our program today. Truths for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall is a presentation of Hall Sports Communications. To contact us, you can send an email to chrishall71 at hotmail.com. That's chrishall71 at hotmail.com. Be sure to join us for our next program. Until then, stay safe and may God bless you.